Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Well, hello, and welcome to GodPod number 32. And um, today we uh, are sitting in our usual um Room, stroke bunker, cupboard, really. <laughs> Broadcasting HTV. to you from the bunker. Uh, exactly, with our very nice plate of biscuits and some coffee, which is almost pretty good, pretty well gone now because we've been drinking it all half the morning. But uh, this morning, we uh, very sadly don't have Jane with us. No. Um, she's somewhere else, not quite sure where she is, but she's not around today. Now, we do have Mike. Hello. Uh, good morning, Mike. Very good morning to you, Graham. Good to see you too. Uh, but we also have our special guest today, who is Paul Woolley. And Paul is the um, director, is that the title? That's right, yeah. Director of Theos, which is a very interesting new um, Christian think tank based here in London and uh, has been running for about the last year or so, is that right? That's right, yes. And um, and is doing really excellent work in the whole area of uh, Christian faith and public life and has uh, produced a number of um, uh, reports on that. Uh, those of you who are avid listeners to GodPod in the past might remember Nick Spencer who came uh, and uh, spoke on, or was one of our guests on Godpod some while ago, and he, he works for Theos, That's and right. um, we talked about one or two issues to do with that. So, um, Paul, welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much. It's yeah. great to be here. Very good to have you with us. Uh, d- tell us a little bit more about Theos and how it works and um, what the aim of it is and, and, and how you got into it and all that yeah. kind of thing. Well, Theos is a public theology think tank, and uh, the term public theology, um, like lots of terms, can be debated at length and no doubt doctorates are being written about it at this moment in time. It's quite an undeveloped term um, and probably has more life at the moment to it in the United States where mm. it describes a particular way of doing theology. But the way that we use it and understand it is to talk about doing theology in the public space on public issues. And part of what we're trying to do with that descriptor is to demonstrate that theology isn't some sort of privatised discipline. It's not to be locked away in the university. Um, It's to be out there. Theology is essentially public. And, of Mm. course, as Christians, we have a a doctrine of the incarnation, which is all about God acting publicly in his world. Mm. And, uh, and, And therefore, we should take that very seriously. So we're trying to bring theological reflection and commentary to political and social relationships in society and to do that in the style of the mainstream secular think tanks such as Demos or IPPR or the Centre I noticed the, the, the kind of name, Theos, like yes. Demos. Uh, it seems to me that in order to be an organisation of this nature, you have to have a Greek name. Now, is that kind of harking back to <laughs> the Greek idea of people discussing politics in the centre, in this forum, in the marketplace, that, yes. that kind of thing? Is that why you have to have a Greek name? Yes, there is a, a trend to this. It's perhaps now a slightly <coughs> dated trend. But there was an article a couple of years ago, I think it was in The Guardian, and it was a total spoof piece about all the other think tanks that could be developed using Greek names. Domestos. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, what we were trying to do with that is, um, well, it, the Bishop of London came up with that name, and of course we couldn't really say no, could we? Um, but um, 
it's, it's a, it, good name. It's a good name and it's stuck. Yep. And and again, what that's about is saying that, you know, if we are serious about our faith, then that isn't to be kept private. The faith is is very personal, um, but it's it's very public. It's and and there is no divide between that part of our lives that's spiritual and the other part of our lives which is secular. Which is why actually I'm often quite uneasy about talking about secular unless we're very yeah. clear about what we mean by that. Yes. Um, but we're trying to do all of that in the kind of mainstream public space um, because we think there are tremendous opportunities at this time from our perspective in a period of desecularization in lots of, of respects mm. to really talk into mm. debates in and around these issues. Because yeah. I guess one of the fascinating things about today compared to say 10 years ago is the fact that it seems to me that religion in a sense far more than politics now is the thing that shapes the world and shapes motivation and shapes you know, I mean, you know, where, where are the communists now, and where are the, um, uh, you know, e- even even the sort of hard and fast capitalists? You know, you kind of think there there isn't, you know, it's, it's not sort of political issues that are shaping the way that people are sort of thinking and, and forming policy. Actually, and actually, religion is a much yes. bigger player now yeah. in what we're responding to, both positively and negatively. Yes, um, which actually makes this an ideal time for the kind of thing that you're trying yeah. to do. No, I think that's obviously right. And I think what's so exciting from our perspective is if you read people like Peter Berger, who were writing, Mm. you know, 30, Mm. 40 years ago and predicting the end of religion, very arrogantly, but very much within that enlightenment framework that religion would Mm. essentially fizzle out. It would be confined to a few eccentric people, little groups in the world. What's actually happened, which he himself has recognized Mm. um, latterly, is um, the opposite has happened. Mm. And in fact, um, religion's not only alive, I often hesitate to say alive and well because it's not always well, yeah. but it's certainly alive and it's dominant. Yeah. Um, but in some parts of the world, it's more um, furiously religious mm. than ever before. Yeah. Mm. And I think your point, Graham, is absolutely right that in the past, the sort of great ideological debates mm. were about um, either the, the state where you're a capitalist yeah. or did you have more of a statist um, approach or a communitarian approach. Mm. Um, and similarly, uh, with the sort of the, the, the involvement of communism and everything mm. else, mm. those those debates um, probably will emerge again, but mm. at the moment, some of the big defining issues yeah. are around uh, mm. religion, and and of course that's a really good opportunity, but also yeah. a massive challenge. Well, it's Peter, Peter Berger is that the same Peter Berger who is, wrote A Room of Angels and Sacred uh, Canopy, and, and has just recently produced a kind of skeptical, a skeptic. Uh, Treatment of the creed, but but actually coming out with basically well, a position, a position of faith. I'm thinking of um, the sociologist. Yes, who, yes. Yeah. And, okay, well, and I always yes, thought exactly. him as a Christian, as a Christian oh, sociologist. So I wonder if he's shifted. Yes, he has as, with society yeah, because case. he wrote um, basically the secularization of the world mm. and then the desecularization. Mm. There were two mm. sort of theses flying okay. there, and um, and it's extraordinary. Um, probably somewhere on our website we've got these quotes, but you see the shift. And then, of course, particularly mm. since 9-11 and 7-7 mm. and the focus on aspects of mm. radical Islam, mm. that, I think, has also um, meant there has had to mm. be a focus on religion more mm. generally, um, beyond yeah. Islam as well, yeah. which is interesting. But I, mean, I suppose the point that strikes me is sometimes I think it's thought that, well, it's only because of 9-11. That's the only reason that religion yeah. is on the public agenda. But it seems to me there is something more going on because of... For example, the huge rise of Christian faith in the global south, yes, you know, the, which in some ways is quite independent of, of, of radical Islam. But 
the the strength of the Christian Church in Africa and parts of of Asia, China. Latin, Latin America, yeah. and China, yeah. uh, particularly in China, as, as you say, because you know China is on its way to being you know, sure, huge engine of the global economy, but it's also on its way to, yes. uh, some people would argue, to being Super. a Christian yes. country because Probably the number of Christians are, are growing. And so therefore, it seems to me it's not just about the sort of negative effects of, of, of religion as depicted in, in 9-11. It's actually about a whole separate set of movements as well. Yes. But I suppose the, the anomaly in all of that, in, in a way, is Europe, isn't it? Um, which so far has not yet seen yes. a, a great... You know, there's still quite a bit of fear of yes. religion around in Europe. And so that, so that makes it quite interesting what you're doing with Theos right at the heart of Europe. Yes, I mean, I think the answer to that, well, from my perspective, would be yes and mm. no, in that I think it's exciting in Europe as well, mm. in that um, certainly research that we've done amongst uh, the emerging generations, if you mm. like, those in their 20s and 30s, would indicate that they are infinitely more critical of people like Richard Dawkins and other mm. quotes unquote secular humanist sort of philosophers mm. than their parents' generation and infinitely more open to the idea of God and God being involved in the world than their parents. Yep. And perhaps part of that is them rejecting the social mm. experiment mm. that they mm. sense was inflicted on them by their parents, yes. which is again quite complex, but it doesn't then denote that everyone is signing up to do an alpha course, yeah. Yeah. but yep. it does demonstrate that there's an openness to spirituality. And mm. certainly I'm sure that Dawkins and Polly Toynbee and Christopher Hitchens and Daniel Dennett, et cetera, et cetera, um, to some extent, they are more indignant and more vocal today in part because they see the game is up oh, yes. and secularization is falling apart. I, they, they certainly see it as something that needs to be attacked, whereas, yes. whereas 20 years, years ago, they probably wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, wouldn't yeah their confidence, I think, has been mm -hmm. shaken quite considerably. Yeah. Yes. And, and I mean, I, I think you know, you see this at Christmas services now. You know, you, you yes. probably had more people going to church this last Christmas than for years and years and years and years and years. Mm. And, years. and yet, you know, we we still got the task of translating that into regular discipleship. But yes. the but the openness is really there yes. as far as I can see. Mm. Yeah, and I think the other part of the debate is that it does seem to me if 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 you know any of us have read Nietzsche or Voltaire. Um, it, it, the arguments that a lot of the secular humanists are employing today are exactly the same. And it's as if they're operating with the same outmoded enlightenment yeah. framework yeah. Yeah. that no longer holds. Sure. And therefore, it's as if they're behind the times, yeah. um, which I think they are. Getting left behind and, and worrying about it. Exactly. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, and Dawkins is a strange return to sort of enlightenment certainties. Yes. As if all the stuff that's happened in, in, in between never really existed. And of course, he's, a, he's as hostile to postmodernism as he is to Christianity. Exactly. Well, that's what's, I think, particularly interesting. And, and therefore, in some of the research that we did, one of the reactions often mm. is, you know, what is it with Dawkins? Why is he so angry? And, and why is he so? Yeah. Why is he such a fundamentalist, yeah. in a sense? Even if yeah. then those same mm. people are saying, but I don't have any particular faith myself. But they don't like the closed yeah. nature of the debate. I mean, sure. he may he, he may be right up to a point, uh, both in much of what he says about religion, yeah, <laughs> and is, uh, but also mm. in what, some of what he says about postmodernism. I mean, I think science would have a quite difficult mm. um, relationship with postmodernism, particularly where postmodernism is relativistic. Yes, mm. uh, you know, science cannot operate in a relativistic context. It cannot mm. say, "Well, that's mm. true for you; it's not true for me." Mm. Yeah, exactly. you know, gravity is likely to affect mm. both of us. Yeah, but um, it is. It's interesting, I can't remember whether I've mentioned this on a previous God pod, but I, 
I was reading um, this recent book by um, Philip Jenkins, the right, yes, the American. He's really a sort of historic, historian of religion, isn't he? I think um, he's one of the ones who. I mean, his, his earlier book about um, the next Christendom was drawing attention to the rise of Christianity in the global South. But his, his most recent book is about about Europe and, and Christianity and Islam and secularism in Europe and what are the prospects of religion in in Europe. And towards the end of that, he you know he, he does quite you know, tentatively, but really predict something of a Christian revival in Europe right. because he actually yes. thinks that that as people become more conscious of of religion and its effects within the wider world, people will actually, you know, and in a sense, as a result of the this sort of intense, aggressive secularism, people will actually look back at their religious roots, which they've sort of gradually let go over the last yes. few decades and think, hang on, you know, maybe we need to hold on to this after all. And actually by re-examining them, we might well come back to them in, in a new kind of way, which would be very interesting yeah. if that happened. It would, on the other hand, we have to do things better than we have done. Exactly. If we're going to yeah. um, build on that and yeah. make use of that, because I mean, people come to church on midnight for the midnight service mm. on Christmas Eve, it's, it what better be pretty good. Yeah, exactly. They must it have something to offer on, that yeah. they're not getting yeah, elsewhere, right. and all too often that's not the case. I mean, just to, to come back to Theos and... Um, where you know where you see the the work going in, in the future? I guess one of the questions around public theology and and talking about religion in, in public life would be this: the question of where is it leading and what's what's the goal? I mean, is the goal to to somehow reestablish Christendom, a sort of Christian framework for society, in in the way that it was from the Middle Ages onward, or is it a different model of of the way in which Christianity religion plays out within the public? Square. So, I mean, do you have a kind of take on that and from the Theos angle? Yes, I have two immediate responses to it. The first would be to say that I think often the extremes of the debate, if you like, are about, on the one hand, the <coughs> argument that religious faith should be privatised and therefore not allowed to impact the public space. Mm. Now, that would be a line that I would completely want to reject because mm. it fails to understand, firstly, the nature of faith. Uh, the idea that somehow you can keep faith private is mm. ridiculous. Mm. Similarly, the idea that government can act in a way that is morally neutral is mm. ridiculous. Mm. Um, if we are serious about our faith, then it has to have ramifications in the public space. Mm. And that, our perspective would be, is for the betterment of society. If we give Christians the space, then society can flourish. Now, obviously, there's a responsibility then on the part of those who are part of the Christian community to ensure that happens, but that's how it should happen. But equally, the extremely other way is that Christians should have a highly privileged role in society, which pretty much amounts to imposing what Christians want within our uh, through our structures and within our culture. And that would be also a line that we would be unhappy with. Mm. Um, in a, a, a liberal democracy, that, that's not the way you can play the game. And we have to articulate, I think, a vision of what the common good is and persuade people of that. But we can't simply draw up legislation to impose the kingdom of God. In fact, that's not uh, morally a right thing to do. That can't mm. be done mm. and it shouldn't be done. Mm. And, and, and not just morally. Uh, nor is it, you know, just not how you can play the game, but it's also theologically how not. Yes, exactly. How one yeah. shouldn't do it in the sense that yes. uh, the incarnation suggests that God's not totally interested in sitting on privilege. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I think the challenge for for those of us that are seeking to impact 
in Theos terms, the opinion-forming community, but perhaps specifically um, for those seeking to impact the political realm, is if we read the New Testament, if we read the Gospels, the challenge that comes back is that Jesus um, is spending time with privileged people, um, but equally, uh, the people that seem to get it are those who are the underprivileged, those who are on the margins of society. And his understanding mm. and presentation of the kingdom of God um, seems to connect more deeply uh, with those people than with those people that simply want to impose it. In fact, he rejects the model, doesn't he, of the zealots who are trying to impose, uh, impose it. Yeah, and, and similarly, yeah. the Sadducees and the Herodians who mm. are involved in this messy mm. compromise with Rome. Mm. Um, he rejects those models and says, no, the kingdom of God is something mm. different. Mm. So, I mean, if, if Christians are in a sense, not imposing a Christian framework or, or, or structure upon upon society um what then i i guess the question then is what role then does government play um in that uh you know who is imposing i mean if, if, if in a sense there isn't a, such a thing as neutral government and as you say rightly i think governments aren't sort of morally neutral um is it therefore the the, the role of, of government to sort of deliberately limit themselves and therefore create a space in which those kind of arguments can 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 be had between different um, uh, groups, religious groups or political groups or whatever it might be? Or I guess, you know, how does the public square get defined? Do, yeah, do, 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 yeah, do you understand what I'm I mean, I think there's a, a framework to start from and then mm. we can, amongst ourselves, scrap about, well, does that mean that we support the Labour Party or yeah, the yeah, yeah, Conservatives yeah. or the Lib Dems? But or the Democrats or the Republicans. Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and this mm. is you know, very timely in that respect. But We weren't planning to become the 54th state or whatever. <laughs> where we, not yet. States, no, 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 not. <laughs> but I suppose in broad terms, my understanding would be that firstly, government is inherently a, a good thing, that it's part mm. of the created order, that mm. God does not want chaos, and that that is part of how God has created the world. Secondly, that one of the key roles of government is to restrain evil and mm. judge it, mm. and therefore that has huge ramifications in terms of criminal justice mm. um, and, and ways of doing that. But then thirdly, that government has the responsibility to set the conditions whereby the church, for example, yeah. can flourish mm. and the common good can be realised. Yeah. And government policy should always be directed towards mm. the common good, not mm. simply the narrow mm. sectional interest of a small group yeah. in society. Now, I think Oft it's down for... bigger big businesses. For oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think, therefore, it's down mm. to us to articulate and model what that alternative vision for society yeah. is mm. and contend for it in the public space mm. and in the debates. Um, and I think there are lots of ways and lots of places where the current approach of government and successive governments has been counter mm. to what mm. a Christian mm. vision of the common good looks like. Yeah, I was just reading um, a very interesting text on, on this, which is 1 Timothy 2, where, um, where you know, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, and then specifically for kings and all those in authority, that, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, which, which kind of describes, I think, what you're saying, yes. which is that government's role is, is to create the space in which peaceful and quiet lives and all goodnesses can be lived. Now, government can't make those, can't create can't, those things. Can't legislate. From, exactly, yes. which is kind of where, where the church comes in as a, as a community which is trying to shape people's lives and character so that 
um, if you like, they have the motivation and the the ability to to live such lives and, and, to, and to articulate that vision, but not only to articulate it, but also to, to make it possible yes. to provide the kind of community context which forms and shapes people so that they do live quiet and godly and holy lives. So government can't do that bit. But what government can do is to, as you say, restrain evil so that so it, the conditions are created in which those kind of lives can be lived. And I think all too often in the Christian world, we confuse those two roles and think that the mm. government should be doing yes. what the church should be doing. And actually, Jesus, I think, keeps them reasonably separate. I mean, he, he talks in his discussion mm. about divorce. You know, <clears throat> they say, you know, why did... Uh, Moses command the man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said, "Well, that, that was permitted because of your hardness of hearts." Yes. What mm. what is the law has to take account of the fact that people are not going to be able to live up yeah. to mm. everything that God would mm. like them to live up to. Yes. Um, and it's not therefore right that just because something is is wrong doesn't mean it should be criminal. Yes. Uh, and mm. Jesus seems to be accepting that principle yeah. there in a way that some of us, but I think often we haven't don't always get done. That. Exactly. So often our immediate assumption is, well, if that is immoral, then it's criminal. Yes. And actually doesn't work like that but also I think then the challenge back to us is if for example certainly part of our understanding of the good life is presented for us in the Beatitudes um, so in the Beatitudes there's a description of what life can be like and should look like um, but it's down to us to model that alternative yeah. Yeah. way of living yeah. um, what yeah. it means to be a human being fully alive mm-hmm. um, and Government could never do that. Government yeah. doesn't have sure. the ability to do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been difficult to find a bill that would encapsulate purity of heart. Exactly. exactly. Yes. Well, government tries to do that from time to time, doesn't it? I mean, a lot of the campaigns, like the the John Major Back to Basics yes. one, to an extent, perhaps the New Labour sort of respect campaign was was just beginning to kind of move in that direction, trying to somehow legislate for good behaviour. Which you can do to a certain extent, but you can legislate against really bad, yeah, measurably yeah. bad behaviour, yeah, but yeah. you can't legislate for good behaviour. I think you can um, you can provide encouragements and inf- a framework. Yeah. So, for example, a sure. good education system as opposed to a bad one mm. should. Firstly, it will be predicated on an understanding mm. of what good mm. education is and what it means to flourish. Mm. Um, but one way or another, it will influence people to that effect so it is important Mm. that we say that government can't be neutral and it's also important to say that therefore it means that sometimes government has to act Mm -hmm. um, and that means you know that the criminal justice system sometimes has to say that is evil and we judge it as evil Mm. and therefore there's a consequence to that Mm. but we must um, not be overly Mm. simplistic about that yeah and it's it's, I mean I was reading a there's a Lutheran social Political theologian called Gilbert Myleander, really strange right. name. Who, um, yeah, Graham, again, Graham has kind of light <laughs> bedtime reading. <laughs> That's your holiday reading. <laughs> That's right. Maybe was making an interesting point that actually, yes, government um, does create that sort of space, and in, then in, in a sense, it's you know what we have to to wait for is is, is a, a moral vision to arise out of the different kind of moral frameworks there are out there in a plural society that. Will convince and will 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 capture enough of people's imagination and um, and and loyalty to to begin to become something that that uh, does provide a framework for society. And that, but that then leads back to this the same challenge to the to, to churches to be the kind of communities that can both articulate and embody that sort of moral vision and the sort of transformational vision of of people's lives and to, yes. to make it 
something that actually does at the end of the day make people think, yeah, this is what we're looking yeah. at. I think there's a number of levels of that, isn't there? As you say, it's the church level modeling it, the individual level modeling it. Yep. There's there's kind of political theologians like mm. Oliver O'Donovan yep. doing yep. that at a very sophisticated level. Mm. And then there are organizations like yours and the Jubilee Center, the Relationships Foundation, yep. that sort of thing, mm. which are trying to work out the implications of that in terms of socioeconomic yes. policy and that kind of thing. We've got to do it at every level yes. uh, to, to show that we actually have got yeah. something to offer yes. in the public realm when, yes. we, when we get up and speak in it. Yes, and I think in a way, although obviously uh, if we talk about <coughs> Israel, there are a huge number of sort of different issues there in terms of Old Testament, but um, that, it seems to me, also has always been God's intention. It's always been God's intention that the people in, in relationship to himself are to model in their community what this good life looks like. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore, the point is that through Israel, the world will see the glory of God mm-hmm. and will see what it looks like to be truly alive. And therefore, the idea is that we see that in Jesus Christ and we as the body of Christ then model that. The mm-hmm. big disappointment is often we don't and mm-hmm. we model something that actually isn't simply not it, but it's it's very definitely not it. It mm-hmm. runs very seriously mm-hmm. counter to it. Mm-hmm. Very, a very good message for Candlemas, which is yeah. right, just, yes. just about to uh, happen, which I'm sure everybody will be celebrating. <laughs> Unless they're listening to this in <laughs> July or something like that. Um, yeah, but actually it does draw attention to the Again, the public nature of the church. You know, we often think of church as something we do on Sundays. It's something we kind of do in our spare time, as it were. But actually, these communities are quite public thing, things because they are shaping people for engagement with public life, and whether it's in politics or in other other spheres of of of, of, um, of work and so on. Yes. Um, I mean, just just to um, bring it back to one of the questions that, that came in. To, um, again, thank you to everybody who's been emailing in questions and very sorry that we can't all deal with all of them again. But um, one came in from uh, Bill Henderson from, uh, um, well, yeah, he was it's somewhere in the USA. I think it, it might be Los Angeles, but um, no, it can't be Los Angeles. It must be Louisiana. That's right. L.A. <laughs> um, anyway, he says that I'm enrolled in an education for ministry, a program from a seminary in uh, an, an Episcopal seminary in the USA. And they were discussing belief in a bodily resurrection as opposed to a resurrection that's only spiritual or something less than full bodily resurrection. The Gospels show Thomas sticking his hand into the wound of Jesus. Jesus eats fish on the shore with the disciples. The creed says the resurrection of the body. But what about cremation or donation of body to science? And obviously that's one issue at the end of it, that issue about, you know, do we donate our bodies to science and is it okay to be cremated but i guess this this issue of bodily resurrection i think does have some connections into the political sphere that's something you've been doing a bit of thinking about yourself yes absolutely i mean i think it's um the, the idea that we've been playing with and discussing with various people is what impact our theology of resurrection has on the way that we live hmm. so our praxis if you like and uh there is a, a an idea that we've been sort of floating around that Somehow, if we don't have a fully orbed theology of resurrection, an understanding that the new creation, the new heaven and earth, uh, and and what we are when we are resurrected is not very earthy, isn't very physical, then there's the potential for us to be less concerned about social and political activism in the here and now. And I suppose I can see that quite clearly on as it were, the more reformed end of the evangelical 
spectrum. Sometimes there has been a concern about being involved in the earthy social and political mm. activism mm. stuff because actually our, our resurrection is primarily about getting to heaven, therefore the priority is on a particular approach to evangelism. Mm. And then similarly on the sort of the other end, um, perhaps, you know, it is that if, if we just have no real uh, hope in the resurrection, well, then what's the point, really, mm. of being involved in our society and trying to shape structures and of course that could relate as equally to some of the sort of those historic issues as it could to be to do with general stewardship and living sustainably and everything else Um, but it does um, strike me that having sort of heard this that maybe there is a link between those two which I think is is fascinating. I think there's very much a a link if you think that um, uh, God is only interested in the soul um, then you're not going to give much time or attention to political issues, social issues, feeding the poor, um, any of that. On the other hand, the resurrection of Jesus suggests that God is not just interested in the soul. He's actually interested in the whole human being in all its different dimensions, yes. including its physicality. Um, and not only that, but if that's a picture of our coming destiny, if that's you know, a glimpse of the future, then he's going to re-embody the whole universe. He's going to give us a new heavens and a new earth rather yes. than whisk us off to some disembodied, spiritual, yeah. gutless yeah. um, <laughs> heaven. Yeah. Get the impression you don't like that sort of idea, I'm not Mike. So, no, I, I, you got that impression, I'm sorry. Um, Regular listeners to Godpop will know this very well. <laughs> <laughs> but if it'd be interesting if we were to do a poll of the Christian community in Britain, for yeah. example... Um, it would be fascinating to know what people think on that because my sense is that most absolutely would say that there is life after death. Mm-hmm. But when they say that, they would probably mean that our soul escapes from the mm. imprisonment of our bodies. Mm. Our bodies um, decay mm. and our souls go to heaven to be mm. with God. Mm. Um, Which is sheer unadulterated Plato. Exactly, absolutely. And just yeah. so unbiblical that it's... Mm. it's. Uh, and yet often this would be a, a popular belief within evangelical circles, which yeah. is ironic, isn't mm. it? But mm. it's not biblical theology. And and unfortunately, it, even the translators of our Bible occasionally get infected with this way of thinking. The, the famous bit in, in John 14 where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, as if he's coming back and going to take yes. us back. Yeah. The word the translation doesn't say anything. The actual Greek doesn't say anything at all. It says, and I'll take you to myself. Right, yeah. um, I will receive you to myself. Uh, no hint of going back up. And, and Revelation is about... Yeah. The city of the heavenly Jerusalem mm. coming down out of heaven yes. to earth and the dwelling of God is with men, not us being mm. whisked off somewhere else. Yeah. The, 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 um, I suppose the, the implications of that are quite important as well. I think it's always fascinating that you get 1 Corinthians 15, which is actually, a, you know, when people read it, it's a, it's, a, it's a chapter about the resurrection body. And there's all that intricate stuff in the middle about earthly bodies and heavenly bodies and all that kind of thing and what kind of flesh, well, you know, when the, you know, when the dead are raised, what kind of body will they, they have? And there's a, there's a very interesting discussion there, it seems to me, about Paul saying, well, you know, we can think about different kinds of bodies that people have. There's one kind of body, there's heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, and there's the body of animals, and there's the body of humans. He, so it seems to me he's saying, look, actually, there are, we can imagine different kinds of physicality. Um, so why could there not be a different kind of physicality that's just, yeah. that's different from the one we know at the <coughs> moment, but is still physical? But but at the end of the, the chapter, having discussed the whole bodily resurrection you know the, the the final word is not you know isn't it great we're going off to be with jesus in the skies it's it's 
You know, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your, la- your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He kind of sends you back into the, yeah. the real physical and world to get on with the Lord's work. Because what we do here in his name is going to be, re- is going to be built into the new creation, mm. rather, mm. Like, yes. um, rather like seeing you know, when you've paid for a stone in a cathedral um, ceiling yeah. or something, you think, ah, I, I, I did that bit. That was my yes. contribution. Mm. And mm. the same with the new creation, yeah. that what we do here will somehow be gathered up, not mm. lost, not left behind, yes. but built, up, built into the new yeah. creation. Mm. And the fact, therefore, and that, forever. Yes, and that what that says is that God is working and committed to working in and through his people mm. rather than acting independently of them. Yes. Um, obviously, God can mm. act independently mm. of them, but his primary means... Mm to deliver his kingdom mm. is through the New Testament yes. people of God. Mm. Um, and therefore yeah. we should, you know, be, I think, that's, that's a huge responsibility, isn't it? But that should also excite us that mm. somehow we're partners in this. Mm. And, it, and it has sort of political ramifications too, doesn't it? Because it, that means that the church, the church's task in some way is to, to both point forward to and embody something of the life of that, of the yes. new heaven and the new earth, which is one day coming. To be a pointer and sign of exactly, yeah, the new creation. Yeah, yeah to be a, that's right. And so, you know, and, and that that itself has sort of political implications because it's a very you know it's actually trying to show people this is what it might yes. look like, just to give people a bit of a taste of the of the future here and now. And then that has a political shape to it because it's actually about the way we relate to each other. It's about how the way communities work, which is what politics is. Politics is about the polis, the life of the yep. city. It's about how we relate to each other, and the church is political in that sense in that it tries to show a form of social life that is predictive that is looking forward to the life of the future as is the the announcement of the arrival of the kingdom of god when jesus says the kingdom of god is near Mm. and Mm. if the whole of what jesus is about is seeing that happening in and through him Mm. um that is inherently political as well Mm. um and and the gospel writers understand that even with the term gospel there's a sense Mm. that somehow this is the Mm. alternative Mm. uh this is the alternative story this is the real story Mm. as opposed to the other ones of empire that rome gives as we're yeah. giving you the good yes. news. Caesar so. is Lord. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, massively political. Say yeah. Jesus yeah. is Christ and Lord. Yes. You know, there's nothing more political than that. Well, Caesar calls himself both Lord and Son of God. Yes, of course. And, and yes. so, so to say um, of Jesus is actually a deeply political statement. Yes. Just come back to, uh, to, to Bill's oh, the question. question. I suppose we ought to do that at some point. Well, it might be quite a good idea, did it? Because um, he, he does ask this question towards the end about the resurrection of the body, but what about cremation or donation of the body to science? You know, if our bodies are going to be resurrected or kind of renewed, or whatever they are going to be, um, should we be hang on, looking after them a bit when they die, rather than just putting them into the the burner? Well, it's, it, it, there's a nice um, cartoon in Private Eye this week, uh, which is relevant to this this topic. There's a, a kind of human sacrifice going on in some pagan temple, uh, and there's a whole queue of frightened people uh, trying not to be the next one in the queue. Um, and there's it's quite a gruesome cartoon. They're cutting the chap's heart out and holding it up. And one of them is one of the priests is saying, "Presumed consent has been a great success." <laughs> um, but I, I think, the, the, I mean, the Roman yeah. Catholic Church has a position on cremation, which I think is a sensible one, which is that um, they're, they're against it, not because there's any problem about God recreating a body once it's been burned, any more than when once it's rotted into in, into dust. Um, God, after all, made 
you know, can, can, can take the earth, the side of the earth, and, and make it into a body. That's not a problem. Mm. But they just think it's a better picture of resurrection hope yeah. um, to, to bury rather than to cremate, because it's a way of saying it's here, it's waiting. We are waiting uh, mm. our final destiny mm. at the hands of God. And that therefore, there's nothing, there's no problem in somebody who gets you know, burnt in a fire or you know, killed in the Twin Towers or whatever. There's no, no problem for God to recreate them. That's mm. not the issue. Mm. Um, it's just a matter of what is a good picture. Yeah. And, and I, again, I don't see there's any problem with donating body to science or, or organs for donation or anything like that. In a way, that's making use of the tragedy that's that's happened at this person's death uh, mm. is making it good, turning it to good use, which is what God does of, mm. with all mm. tragedy. What would the Catholic position be on that? On I'm the not second sure. of those? I, I mean, presumably, I it might be uneasy, I suppose, given the view about create, cremation in the sense of whether it is a good picture or whether it is after that body's given to science, then there is a burial. And well, I think there's a sense in which we are all overlapping. Physically, yes. you know, what we mm. eat becomes us, um, mm. <coughs> and and we're doubtless eating mm. things that have metamorphosed from yeah, animals sure. or people or whatever yes. um, all the time. Mm. So to have a bit of somebody else's body keeping me alive mm. when it's no use to them anymore, yes. um, mm. I think is, I, in my view, a perfectly good use of the thing, um, as long as it's done respectfully yeah. and with and maybe the um, yeah. the part of the answer is actually in in some of the things that Bill says in his question here that. Um, you know, Thomas sticks his hand into the wound of Jesus, Jesus eats fish. In other words, that he's pointing towards the resurrection body of Jesus. Now, if we're thinking about resurrection bodies, have we ever seen one? Well, we have one. once. <laughs> um, the, the, the resurrected Jesus. And the thing about the, the, the resurrected body of Jesus was that it was kind of like but unlike. You know, Mary yeah. would... You know, thinks he's the gardener. He doesn't. She doesn't recognise him, but then she does. Yeah. So he's kind of like him, but unlike. Again, again, he, he seems to have a physicality because of the things that, you know, that Thomas can put their hands in the wounds, um, and so on. But at the same time, you know, he's he's able to appear in a room where the doors are locked. Yes. And so it's it's like, but it's unlike. Yes. The resurrection body, and therefore, therefore, I think in terms of cremation and so on, it's. Again, as Mike's saying, it seems to me that it's not just a revivification of this body. If it was that, then we would have a problem yes. with cremation. Yes. But it's actually somehow taking what we are now and reforming it into a new kind it's of body. Yes. Exactly. I mean, I think it's just really important to hold on to the idea that matter matters. Yep. And that I think it was C.S. Lewis who, when talking about Jesus entering into the room where the disciples were, said mm. that he entered into that room not because he was some sort of gaseous substance that sort of floated under the door, mm. but because the resurrected Jesus was more substantial, yeah. more material than yeah. the door, so actually was able to yeah. burst through yeah. the door. Exactly. The, the, um, the wall was immaterial yes, in comparison, by comparison with his yeah. solidity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so I think often mm. we get it the wrong way around. We think of the mm. earth as the substantial stuff and yeah. sort of then the future, the new heaven and new mm. earth is mm. the sort of mm. slightly sort of shadowy, yeah. uh, misty world. Mm. But really, the biblical perspective mm. tends to be, I think, if anything, the reverse. Yes. We should uh, draw to a close because time is up and Mike is grabbing his coat and his hat and he's yes. <laughs> just about to head out the door because he's got to go and do yeah. something else. Yes. Um, Paul, thank you very much for thank coming you. in. Thank you. It's been great. I've it's enjoyed great. it. Thank um, you. If people want to know more about Theos, how could they do that? Um, the best thing to do is to go to our website and the address for that is theosthinktank, which is one word, dot co, dot uk. 
And the theos is in English letters. That's it? right, yes. It's not rather Greek disappointing. letters. T-H-E-O-S. No. Yes. I'm sure if you wanted to do it in Greek, we might be able to arrange for it. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually a very good website because it's got a lot of... It, it, keeps a, it keeps up to date quite quickly with, with a lot of comment on religious matters yes. within the press yeah and uh, so it's a, it's a very good w- website to go to just in in, in just to keep yeah. in touch with how religion is discussed in public and there's, anyway. there's always a, a current debate which changes every two weeks so it's a blog for people to engage yeah. with us in a yeah. conversation about an issue of the day good so if you've um, enjoyed some of what we talked about today and are interested in the whole area of public christian faith and public life then i'd recommend that website thank you so thank you paul thank you for mike it's a pleasure and uh we will be back again soon Um, if you're not careful (laughs) that was god pod a podcast from the st paul's theological center if you want to send us a question just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk we can't promise to answer all the questions you send in but we'll certainly try until next time goodbye